Well, hey, everybody, welcome to The Crossing today. It's always good to have you here with us. And I also want to welcome all of those who are joining us, our Southeast Campus. We love you guys. Our microsites that meet all over Southern Nevada, Utah, Michigan, and all of those who watch online. Maybe you don't know this, but we have people who watch online from all over the country. We have um, a church that meets in Mexico that uses our services. We have men and women in the armed forces overseas who watch. And so let's welcome everybody who's watching today. So glad that you're part of the Crossing family with us. Well, we're in week four of this Majnik series. Now, Majnik is simply the word kingdom spelled backwards. And for the Jewish people, they were waiting for the Messiah to come to set up this new kingdom because the Jewish people had almost always been oppressed. It started out when, when they were oppressed by the Egyptians. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And then later on, they were conquered by the Babylonians and the Assyrians, and they were carried off into captivity. And then when the New Testament is written, it is the Roman government that they are oppressed by the Romans. And so they thought that when the Messiah came, that he would overthrow the Roman government and he would set up this brand new kingdom. Well, Jesus came to set up a brand new kingdom, but it was a different kind of a kingdom. It was this upside down, backwards kingdom. And so Jesus said that if you're going to be his follower, that if you're going to follow him, then you begin to live by different kingdom principles. You begin to live by his values. And that's what this series is all about. And so Majnik, this, this Majnik kingdom, it is a place where the M in Majnik stands for more is less and less is more. That if you want to gain your life, you actually gain your life by giving your life up. The O in Majnik stands for others first, that we are this others first community, these, this others first people. And Jesus demonstrated this by washing the disciples' feet. D, we talked about last week, represents descending into greatness. And what we learned is, is that humility is the pathway to greatness. Well, today we're looking at the G in Majnik. And the G in Majnik stands for generosity flows. Generosity flows. There was an article in the USA Today this week, and here's what they said. They said 35% of Americans admit that they feel pressured to spend more than they can afford. Now, this has always been a pressure for us. I mean, this is not something new. This isn't something you go, oh, I had no idea. But they said a phenomenon is going on. And they termed it, they termed it not keeping up with the Joneses, which is what we have always tried to term it as. They, they, they term this as keeping up with Instagram. They said what is happening today is because of Facebook and Instagram, you go on and you see your friends and you see your families, that one out of three of us, so just count in your row, just kind of look on either side of you, one of you feel pressure to spend more money than you can afford. Well, there was another article that came out this week in the USA Today that said that, that the average person in this room Again, the average person in this room spends $18,000 a year on non-essential items. $18,000 a year on things that we do not need. 
Now, these right here become barriers to generosity for us, but they aren't the only things. There are certain myths about generosity that we just believe are true, and it's the way we function in our life. And so I've just come up with four of these myths, and maybe you'll relate to one or two or three or all of them, because we just kind of take this on as truth. And here's this first myth. This first myth is that generosity is spontaneous. What happens is, is, is you go somewhere that is raising money, and, and it touches your heart, and you decide to give. Or there's a family that's down the street from your house, and they're having a tough time. And so you decide to help them out. This is spontaneous giving. And this kind of giving is usually based on emotion or sometimes guilt or inspiration. And Jesus talked about this kind of giving. Jesus said that it's good to do this kind of giving. But the only problem is, is when your giving is tied to emotion, when your generosity is tied to emotion, you may never give. So here's the truth. The truth is that generosity is a decision. Generosity is a decision. Generosity is this premeditated decision. And generous people are actually less spontaneous and more strategic in their giving. Darla and I, Darla and I, we tithe to this church. We, we give 10% of all of our sources of income to this church. And then we regularly give to causes that are just near and dear to our heart. And so for us, we are not always swayed by emotion or guilt when we see certain images on TV or those types of things because we're already giving to those things. We're giving to those things either individually or through the church. And so those emotions don't hit us the same way. Here's the second, the second myth is when I have more, I will be generous. I mean, this sounds right, doesn't it? Then when I have more, I'll be generous. And we have all thought this from time to time. Every now and then, when the lottery gets up really high or mega bucks is really high, somebody will come out into the lobby and they'll say, Shane, if I win mega bucks, I'm going to pay the church's mortgage off. And I'm like, well, that would be awesome, I guess. And they go, so will you pray about me winning? <laughs> well, I, I suppose I could pray about you winning. But the fact is, research shows that it is just the opposite. It is just the opposite. See, this, this myth says, when I have more, I'll be more generous. But research proves that most people in our country, as they make more money, they actually give away less, proportionately speaking. And so the truth is, is that when I am generous, I will have more. And this is a principle that we are going to look at today. The Apostle Paul says that God enriches you so that you can be generous. Here's the way that Jesus said it. Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus says, when you give, it will be given to you. That God sees that you can be trusted with a little, God will give you more. And Jesus teaches that the measure that you use will be measured to you. That if you are stingy, that's the measurement that's back to you. If you are generous, that's the measurement that comes back to you. God trusts you with more. 
Here's this third myth. This third myth is it is the amount that counts. Now, we're impressed by big numbers. I mean, we just are. We're impressed by big numbers. And people will say, that was such a generous gift. Well, no one knows if that was a generous gift or not, except for the person who made it. Adding zeros does not necessarily determine whether it's generous. It may be a lot more money than you make, but when it comes to generosity, the amount does not count. Here's the truth. It is the percentage that counts. See, God is not impressed with dollars. God's never been impressed with dollars. God's not impressed with zeros. Generosity is measured by a percentage, and this is throughout Scripture, that Whatever you decide to give, God knows exactly the percentages of income that you gave, which means that everyone can be generous no matter the size of the gift. Okay, here's the last one. Here's the last one. Rich people are generous. Rich people are generous. And and so here's how we think of it. People say, Shane, when I get rich, then I'll be generous. So let me just clear this up right here. So here's the truth of this is that rich people are rich and generous people are generous. And there is no correlation. There's no correlation. If you are not generous now, then when you get rich, you will just be a rich person who's not generous. There is no correlation to how much money you have and how generous you are. Everyone can be generous no matter how much money you have. So with all of that in mind, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The Apostle Paul is going to introduce this idea of sowing and reaping. He's going to introduce this idea of what it means to sow and to reap. And and at my house, we have a hard time keeping anything alive. Now, I'm not talking about pets. I'm talking about plants here. So... We just have a hard time. We can't keep anything alive. And we all know what that's like because we live in the desert. We all live in the desert, and it's hard for things to grow here. And you can have the right soil. You can have the right amount of water. You can have the right amount of sun. But none of that matters if you don't plant the seed. And that's what the Apostle Paul is going to talk about. The Apostle Paul is going to compare money to seed. And our idea is that when you give money away, that it's gone. But God has a different point of view. That when we give money away, it is not lost. It is not money that we lose. It is seed to be planted. And so here's how the Apostle Paul talks about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. This is the principle of sowing and reaping. And in those days, you didn't go down to Home Depot to buy seed. A farmer out of his harvest had to set aside some of his seed. He couldn't sell it. He couldn't eat it. He had to plant it. And he trusted that next year God would bring a bigger harvest. Now, if the farmer decides, you know, I I don't want to sow very much seed this year. I'm just going to save it back for myself. Then the next year, he's not going to have a very big harvest. When he sows the seed, he doesn't lose the seed. He gains a harvest. And here is this important principle for us. It's this right here. The seed that you keep is all you have. 
So you can have a big pile of seed, and if you keep it, that is all you have. But the seed you sow, God multiplies. The seed you sow, God multiplies. See, most of us would, ag- would agree about this principle in other areas of our life. For instance, in a friendship. In a friendship, that the seed that you sow into a friendship tells the kind of friendship that you're going to have. If you see just a little bit of if you sow just a little bit of seed into a friendship, then you're going to have a lot of acquaintances. If you sow a lot of seed into a friendship, then you're going to have what the Bible terms as a friend who is closer than a brother. This is true in marriage as well. That the seed that you sow into a marriage is going to determine the kind of marriage that you have. And what would happen if if we begin to sow the same kind of seed that we did after we married as we did before we were married, we would all be happily married. Now, let's just be straight. The Apostle Paul is not giving a lesson on farming. He is talking about money. He is talking about what happens when you give. And he says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And the Apostle Paul is contrasting what I call guilt giving versus planned giving. See, we all know what this is like. I mean, you're, you go to a church service, and I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, you're worshiping God. You're singing these songs, and you just feel so close to God. And then it happens. The guilt bag, I mean, the offering bag starts coming down the row. And you see it coming down the row. And and you're looking in your wallet, and you're looking for ones and fives, and the only thing that's in there is a 20, and you're like, oh, no, what do I do? <laughs> you know what the Apostle Paul says? Don't give. Because you shouldn't give under compulsion. You shouldn't give reluctantly. If I went home and Darla said, do you want to go out tonight? And I said, well, if I have to. She's going to say, don't bother and enjoy the couch tonight because she wants my heart. The Apostle Paul says when it comes to generosity that God wants your heart. And he says that God loves a cheerful giver. Literally, this means a hilarious giver, that you find that much joy, that you can't stop smiling and you can't stop chuckling. But notice what it says here. It says that you should give, that everyone should give. Each of you should give. It doesn't say, if you decide to give, this is how you give. No, it says, when you give, each of you should give. Because giving is a premeditated decision. Generosity is something that we decide. You make a decision to be generous. And you will never move towards generosity by accident. It is a decision. It's trusting the promise that God makes. And I want you to see this next promise. He says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. And this literally, this word abound means you will have abundance for every good work. You'll have abundance for every good work. But I want you to notice this promise that God gives you. It says, in all things, at all times, having all you need. In all things, at all times, having all you need. In all things, at all times, having all you need. 
I want you just to repeat this, this promise with me. Let's just say this together. In all things, at all times, having all you need. Okay, so now I want you to repeat it like you really believe this. Okay, so let's try this one more time. I'm just going to give you one more chance here. In all things, at all times, having all you need. Now let me address the elephant in the room. Let me address what some of you are thinking right now. Because some of you are thinking right now, I don't feel like I have all that I need. I don't feel like God is involved in my finances. Why don't, why don't I feel like God is meeting my needs? I'm going to give you the answer to this question, and some of you are not going to like the answer. Here's the answer. This promise is not for everyone. God's love, for everyone. God's mercy, for everyone. God's grace, for everyone. But this particular promise is for those who are generous. It is for those who are cheerful givers. Because you remember what he said right before this, is God loves a cheerful giver. And because of that, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times you'll have all you need. So you have abundance for every good work. This is a promise for cheerful givers. He goes on and he says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. So don't miss this. Who supplies the seed and who supplies the bread? God does. He does. See, here's the foundational principle when it comes to money if you're a follower of Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, the foundational principle of money is that it all comes from God, it all belongs to God. And if you don't get that right, then nothing else is going to make sense to you. And God increases, he says, God increases your store of food, not so that you can hoard it, but so that you can have a bigger harvest with what God has entrusted you with. Remember, we're not talking about gardening here. We're talking about money. We're talking about generosity. And he says, you will be enriched in every way so that, okay, so he's going to give us the reason. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. See, God gives you more, not so you can have more. God gives you more, not so you can have this bigger stockpile. God gives you more so that you can be generous on every occasion. And when you're generous, there is thanksgiving to God that we are blessed so that we can be a blessing. And then here's this last verse we're going to look at. It says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Now, he's talking to people who are generous. He's writing this letter to a church that had learned generosity to who he's writing to. And he says, our generosity, it not only meets the needs of the Lord's people, but when you give, it points to God, that people are thanking God for them. This is the difference sometimes between charity and giving to God. 
Because sometimes giving to a charity can point to the charity. We're giving to God points to God. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying giving to charity is wrong. We give to charity. My family does. There are some fantastic charities you need to be giving to. Here's the point that I'm making. I'm saying that when you give to God's purposes, God multiplies it. It always points to God and not to us. It always gives thanks to God and not to us. So how do we cultivate a heart of generosity? How do we do this in our life? This past fall, we did a series called 100. And the idea is, is that God owns 100% of everything that you have. And so I was trying to figure out a way to teach this concept. And so what we decided to do is we decided to give envelopes away with money in the envelopes for everybody who came to church that day. Now, this may be the only time in human history where a church gave you money. And if you missed it, I'm sorry. It may never happen again, but we gave out money to everybody who came. And this was not the church's money. This was my money. I went to my bank, and I got out enough $1 bills for everyone in our church to have one. And what I asked everyone to do, I said, I want you just to carry this for a week and bring it back next Sunday because I need to pay my mortgage and my utilities. And if you don't bring it back, I'm not going to be able to pay those things. I wanted wanted you to feel the tension of carrying someone else's money. Because when you carry someone else's money, it comes with a responsibility. Now, if you believe that everything comes from God and everything belongs to God, then you have a responsibility with God's money. Because everything you have is God's. Your, Your bank account, it's God's. Your car, God's. Your house, God's. Your clothes, God's. And when you carry God's money, it comes with a responsibility. Now, I have never seen $1 cause so much stress in people. People could not wait to give that dollar back to me. They tried to give it back to me. I'd run into people during the week to say, hey, can I give the dollar back to you right now? And I said, nope, you have to bring it on Sunday. They go, what if I forget? I go, well, I'll lose my house. So you got to bring it back on Sunday. And we actually... Uh, I'm not making this up. We actually had record attendance that next Sunday because people are like, I want to get rid of this dollar. I do not want to carry this any longer. I just want to get rid of it. We had one girl in the church who was in tears because she accidentally spent her dollar on snacks. And she was in tears, and her parents said, we can replace the dollar. It's okay. It'll be okay. But what happened blew me away. What happened absolutely blew me away. Because some people were worried that that everyone wouldn't bring back their dollar, and so they put in some extra in the envelope. There was other people who just wanted to bless me. They're like, well, we've always wanted to bless our pastor. Here's some extra. And so when everything came back in, not only did I get all of my money back, I took back 100% of my money, and there ended up being an extra almost $14,000 that came back in those envelopes. Now, here's what's cool about that. Here's what's so cool about that. Last weekend, we took 160 guys to Mexico, and we built 12 houses for 12 families. It's amazing. I'm telling you, just being on the ground and building a house for a family that's homeless, you feel like you are the hands and feet of Jesus. 
Well, that money that was given, that extra $14,000, was able to pay for two of those houses. That, that's, what, that's what happens with generosity. See, God begins to multiply that. God begins to do something with it. I was telling a buddy of mine, we were out to lunch. He doesn't go to the crossing. I was telling him about that story. And he said, I want to give money to a house in Mexico. And he wrote a check for $2,500. And he goes, well, that, can that go to Mexico? I'm like, absolutely. We had other people in the church who paid for some of these houses. And then the rest of the houses were paid for by your giving. Because 10% of everything you give just goes through the crossing. And it goes to our partners locally and globally. And so your giving, you help pay for these houses as well. Not only in the money that you bless me with, but in the money that you give here. And it's amazing what God does. But let me tell you about the house that I got to build. That I got to build a house for this family as a family of five. It's actually this husband and wife and their three kids. This is one of their parents right here. That for them, they lived in this house that was falling apart. It was this stucco house that didn't have any kind of backing. It was just the stucco. The stucco was crumbling off. Every time it rained, it would just pour down water into their house. And one of our guys was, was talking to the mom. He was, talking, he was talking to this mother right here. And she began to tell her story. She said, I had been praying that God would intervene in our lives. That he would provide safety for our family and security from the weather. And what she said is, she said, you being here and building this house is an answer to my prayers. The dad right here. Our team just took up a little bit of offering so that we could provide them a little bit of furniture in their, in their house, and we were able to, to buy them a refrigerator. The dad, he's this hard worker. He works side by side with us those, those two days. And even though there was a language barrier, you know, we could just begin to talk and express and high-five together as his house is being built. And as we surprised them with this refrigerator and electricity that we had put into the house, I was just blown away what he said to me. He goes, now on hot days, I'll be able to drink cold water. Something I don't even think about. And see, all of this, this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. This is the definition that your generosity not only meets the needs of God's people, but then it points back to God and they're thanking God for what you have done. That it always results in thanksgiving to God. That's the power of generosity. I want you to get out this little seed packet that you were given. That there are some seeds inside, and there's just this promise right here. It's this promise that whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It's just that little promise on this. See, here's what we know about this principle of sowing and reaping. That you can't sow sparingly and expect to reap generously. That's not the way it works. See, all of us wished that it worked that way, but that's not the way it works. What God has given you is not just for you, that he entrusts you with his resources so that you can be generous. And his promise to you is that when you do that, then in all things, at all times, You'll have all you need. Now, I, 
I want to give a challenge. And this is only for those who are followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you probably already tuned me out. But this is for followers of Jesus. This is for those of us who have signed up to be part of this upside-down, backwards kingdom. We've signed up to let Jesus be our Lord and our Savior. I want to give you a challenge. And here's the challenge. I want you to take your next step in generosity. And let me just speak to several groups of you. If you have never given to the causes of Christ, my challenge to you is to try giving for the first time to take a step towards sowing generosity. And here's what you need to know, because churches get a bad reputation, and sometimes it's justified. Here's what you need to know, that I don't make more money if you give more money. That's not the way it works here. So it's not like, oh, well, he's asking for more money because he wants more. I make the same whether you give or not. And we will continue our ministries here at the church whether you give or not, because we have generous people here at the crossing. But sowing generosity could change you. It could change you. Now here's this next group. That if you give from time to time, that you would take your next step and start giving consistently. Pick a percentage and be consistent in your generosity. You say, well, how much? How often? You decide. You decide. But let it be an amount where It's generous. You're sowing generosity. If you're a regular, consistent giver, maybe your next step is tithing. A tithe is simply 10% of your income. Darla and I, we have done this since the day we got married. I've done this since I was a kid. And here's what God says. God says, test me in this. It's interesting because Outside of this, it says that we should never put the Lord your God to a test except this one area. God says, test me and see if I will not bless you. And here's God's promise is that 90% of your income blessed goes further than 100% of your income that's not blessed. That's what God tells us. And if you're like so many at the crossing and you already are tithing, Take your next step in generosity. Look for ways that you can be generous in people's lives, that you can be a blessing, that you can just help out anonymously, that you can take care of a need. Take your next step in sowing generosity. And this is for you. Put it by your mirror. Put it in the dash of your car, somewhere where you will see it, not only and be reminded of God's promise to you, but for you to begin to say, God, Give me a generous heart. Help me to have a heart of generosity, and God, teach me what that means for my life. Now, I want to pray. And maybe for you, it's just praying that prayer. God, give me a heart of generosity and teach me what generosity means for me. Saying, God, it's all yours. If it all belongs to you, my money comes with a responsibility. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the promises that you have that in all things, at all times, we will have all we need. God, thank you for blessing us. God, we're so blessed. I am so blessed. And you have blessed us so that we can be generous. So God, help us not to miss that. 
Help us just to be a people who are known for generosity in our community and around the world. God, thank you for being a generous God to us who gave us Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.